okay, this is it. This is the one. This is the first official episode. And I'm not sure you can even hear me. Oh, no, I can't. I just am not sure. I am not as sure (laughs) as you are that it's the first official episode. Uh... Okay, so here here's a fun here's a fun list of things to do. Okay, everyone, uh, when mm. you start a podcast, an important thing to do is have a launch date. I think that is a good thing that you should set before you start. Having now done this without a launch date, that was our mistake. We should have uh, arbitrarily True. picked a date a while ago. Yeah, I agree. That's our bad. Uh, there's it number is. one. <laughs> okay. Uh, number two. <laughs> What other what other tips, helpful tips can we have? Should have a very fun intro. I think we should have danced or something. I don't know. Dancing doesn't make sense. This is an audio thing. Uh, papa, a little song. <laughs> Whenever you are, uh, Sam was uh, like three minutes late to uh, today's recording Sorry. session. My very laptop needed battery. When that happens, I revisit my early days in the radio. Uh, my father runs radio stations the first time i was on the radio was april 1st uh 1999 uh they were getting a new morning show host they were teasing that there was going to be a new co-host um and whole new morning show hooray for you know weeks they were announcing this and then april 1st rolled around and it was my brother and i uh, just saying nonsense as a Tell me nine, you have a recording you know, of this. Somewhere. I hope so. Yeah. There's got to be. It's there's got to be a tape somewhere. Uh, but it was, you know, it, it was us just talking about, uh, you know, like Michael W. Smith over and over. Because usually when you're recording, uh, pre-recording a show, you are pre-recording the show into the slot that it's going to play your thing. And you know how long you need, you know, like this is a 30 second break. You need yeah. to talk for 30 seconds. But we didn't have that because we were recording like four days beforehand because we weren't waking up at 5 a.m. to do this. And so we just kept reading the same three people over and over. So like comically bad things. And then we had people call in. So we did like pre-screenings. My father called in as a Southern man who was in charge of something in, you know, like Texas and really wanted to hire the new talent away. Uh, And then my mom uh, is the person who comes into the... (laughs) comes into the studio and is like what are you doing we have to take you to school rips us away we scream and yell and there's like a whole little bit and then there's just like 15 minutes of dead air uh (laughs) so professional so this is is all uh, you lost me a little bit is this all staged like this whole yeah so we recorded a few days beforehand and then played it april 1st uh, uh, so like my mom woke us up at 5 a.m. so we could yeah, listen to ourselves to. on the radio. That's pretty uh, awesome. You, and you then, have to uh, get a copy of this. When she screamed, you know, came in and was like, you know, you guys got to be in school. It's time to go to school. And then like we were like, no, we're professionals now. Dragged us away. And then dead air, which is bad, like super bad. Yeah. Ten yeah. seconds yeah. of dead air on a radio station. And, like uh, people, people are losing their mind. Switched. Yeah. They yeah. switched to. Uh, yeah. And so there's just like 15 minutes as a joke. And then the new morning show host came on. But during that time, I sang uh, the call sign because you have to do a call sign at the top of the hour per oh, FCC okay. rules, which is why you hear, uh, you know, like, hello, this that. is. 100.3 KISS FM. Yeah, they're like legally required to announce that every hour at the top of the hour. Uh, and so I sang ours. 
as just a little 89, 89, 89.5 FM, TTSY. And that's and allowed? Ev- it's, it's totally fine to, to yeah. sing it? Yeah, you it can. doesn't matter. It just the, the numbers just need to be out there anyway. I mean, I don't know. The FCC probably could have fined us for this. But like, <laughs> just curious. Whatever. I'm nine. Is there uh, is there an illegal age that is required to be on like no. publicly broadcast without like um, you know parental consent of some kind? You don't think so? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I'm sure it's the same as any other entertainment child thing. Uh, but my parents had parental consent because my dad was yeah. the general manager. Anyway, every time you're gone mm-hmm. or I'm sitting here waiting for a few minutes, I just sing myself 89.5 FM KTSY. I love that. And now you have planted this in my head so i'm not gonna feel guilty if i'm five minutes late <laughs> yeah i i'm just uh, sitting here singing to myself i do this i like it. every every opportunity like every zoom meeting even if like my therapist is late for a few minutes i'm just like sitting here singing an old tune uh i like it okay so lessons learned you know i do think it would have been nice to have a set date but it was also very much a giant experiment for the first couple yeah. couple episodes we didn't know what we were doing that's very uh, fair th- any other podcasts I've been a part of, you generally just you don't, you don't take any time uh, to like create a back catalog of test recordings as you're like figuring things out. Most people just start posting, and I think most podcasts really don't have much of a schedule either, except for actual commercial ones that have you know real ad money behind them. Well, Those, hey, one day that could be us. Be, yeah, it could be us. Yeah. <laughs> oh, here's a great one that I have learned that uh, I should have done a long time ago, and this is on me. And one of the reasons that I'm a little worried that the next episode is going to be the one that's actually okay. released as the first episode. <laughs> Ten episodes from now, we're like the next yeah. one though, for <laughs> real. We just this is going to be like <laughs> naming the thing. This is going to exactly. we will one day launch this thing. Uh, no, so uh, write write your show notes and write what happened in the episode immediately yes, after it's right. over. So I was hoping to leverage ChatGPT because uh, the app oh, we used to to um, <laughs> the app we used to record uh, dumps an entire transcript for you, which is really cool. But I guess there are limits to how much you're allowed to, to paste into Chat. I was it would have been easy to just copy the entire transcript, paste it as for a, you know a paragraph summary. It would probably do a good enough job. Yeah, we should probably but, include that transcript when we release them, but now I need to yes. make a transcript uh, page on somewhere. There's also captioning. And quick question. I feel like I remember YouTube having automatic uh, subtitles and captioning. I, I forget the difference between what a subtitle is and what a Closed caption is. Yeah. Closed caption. But uh, I feel like they used to have that. Is it? Did they get rid of that feature? Because every time I upload a video now, uh, it asks and seems to require subtitle file. I forgot what it's called. There's like a standardized extension for subtitles. And uh, yeah, I feel like they might have gone, gone away with it. Let's see. Uh, auto-generated captions. Uh, it looks like a thing that you just turn on on your own. Uh, I'm going to have to take another look at that because it was um, one of the big things I was struggling against forever ago uh, when I first started Patreon was like the language barrier. Uh, Most things in the early days I would just write. And so people that don't speak great English, I assume, would just like pop that into a translator and it was fine. But with videos, I was constantly getting asked, especially by um, people that speak Spanish, is there translation available? And I would have to do the work of creating 
automatic translations. Google absolutely used to do, um, like you could just say auto-translate into Spanish uh, and subtitles would, would do that, but I'm pretty sure that feature's gone now. Or maybe so the auto-generation like, auto you know, is still there, but you have to turn it on for yourself. Um, but then even like, like while you're watching the video, uh, it, so you click into closed oh. captioning and turn oh, on okay. auto-generated. Uh, mm -hmm. They're not great though. You know, so yeah, no, no, you're right. They never are. Uh, it'll be, <coughs> that's why there's a bunch of podcast editing apps that try and detect ums and other like weird gaps, uh, and it's so awkward because you it takes actually more work to listen and pay really close attention to where it messed up or not because it just doesn't always detect an um properly. Uh, I, I hope they're not taking my ums from me. My ums are core to my brand. Uh, <laughs> It is interesting. I am curious, and I've always thought about from the perspective of a, a radio person, a lot of the, the craft of a, being a DJ is like figuring out your cadence and your rhythm and, and, and speed well, yeah. at which you talk and all that. But I wonder, with podcasts, like most people have the, the play throttled to be you know, 1.5 or 2x. And I'm really curious if that informs or makes any difference to, you know, somebody who's more professional changing how they talk, knowing I that, would, uh, I would love to know what I sound like at 2x, uh, but not enough to actually do it. I can't, like, my brain cannot handle anything faster than 1x. Uh, it's <clears> such a strange thing, though, that uh, with narrated things, with people talking, uh, everyone's generally comfortable, like it's a normal thing to speed it up or slow it down and it's not awkward, but we literally don't do that with anything else. It's not like anybody watches a Netflix show at 1.5 speed or uh, listens to music at 1.5. Although I will say one of my favorite traditions, especially when I recorded uh, uh, like a metal album, would be to uh, put it through like the entire mix, the entire song through a, uh, a speed Thing and like 10x the speed, so it just sounded straight up like Alvin and the Chipmunks, like playing insanely fast punk. It's so fun. And anyway, just we had a moment. we had a we had a 45 uh, record that we accidentally played as a 33 for a really long time, but it was like a Beach House album, and you know, like Beach House is weird ephemeral music, and so we didn't notice for like oh, a long that's time. amazing. That's long, long life time. goals right there to write a song that can be played at any speed and yeah, it's just like oh notices. this is just for the weird vibes <laughs> uh well i mean my voice is different when i'm recording a podcast versus when i would be using a radio voice versus a reading because i do like public readings for essays and stuff i write like all of those voices are different that's cool. uh there's like sense. my performance uh voice i use <laughs> of course i used to do improv who didn't uh -huh. there was there was a time when improv <laughs> uh, I, ruled I the world you didn't <laughs> do improv of course no, you didn't no, no, I well, I hope you don't make fun of me. Uh, see, just like there. There's a podcast Ooh. voice. That's a regular thing. But my radio voice is actually a couple octaves lower. <clears throat> oh, you go real deep. It okay. started, yeah. well, it started because of when I was a teen, I did the overnights. Uh, so from 16 to 17, I did overnights from uh, 12 a.m. to 5 a.m. on the oh, radio okay. station. So I like legitimately yeah, I recorded. And so yeah. I did, you know, 89.5 FM KTSY. I'm Daniel. Thanks for joining us this evening. I know you got a lot of choices out there and you're just here <laughs> to listen to me talk. 
No, you're not. You're here. You're here to hear the next song from uh, Michael W. Smith. Please enjoy him. And then right after that, you're gonna. So I did like the slow. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, I don't was, want you know, people to yeah pre coffee in the middle of the night if they come across you. you don't, right. You don't but then, but then we started ramping up by five. So then it was like okay. <clears throat> 89.5 FM KTSY. I'm Daniel. We're almost through the night, guys. We're like we're it. doing really close. Right. Like that sort of thing. Yes. Yes. Uh, and then I also had uh, my <clears throat> my youth pastor voice. For being a youth, like there's just so much, and then there's I did drama you for years. Weren't a youth pastor? You of course were, I was. You were a youth pastor. As a youth, I was like a, a youth pastor as a youth. Oh, I didn't so, know. Like, I thought the youth pastor was like a sub pastor who was an adult, but focused on just the kids. Well, it can be both. <laughs> it can, I guess. It can yeah. be both. So, so oh. we had a we had an adult uh, youth pastor who oversaw the youth program, and then there was the youth. Uh, like other youth, I was a youth pastor, and then I ran the um, like the youth group of older teens. So like the fourteen through seventeen, I was in charge of that group. There was a you know like a preteen group, whatever that sort of thing. Yeah, and then you know Do you, you got... talk differently uh, if you were live, like if this were live radio. Do you think the the difference between it being live and being something recorded that in the back of your head you know you can edit uh like informs and changes the way that you you talk a little bit uh i don't have a lot of control over the edits right like you're doing the editing so that doesn't you know like that part doesn't really click in but i do know that if i say something really dumb or you know like stutter stumble like that you know you're gonna have to leave that one in because of that but like i know that you'll take that out in post when you're live you're you kind of like narrow uh, down what you're going to say and narrow your scope of what you're willing to talk about because you want to make sure that you don't have any stumbled words. You want to make sure that you, you know, like breathe at the right cadence and, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I never did the um, introductions. The The thing that was always wild to me was like the morning show host would do the introductions of concerts, right? Like he would like MC a concert. So like Jerry would like hop up there and just speak for like 90 seconds perfectly and i know it's his job to know what 90 seconds is and how to speak in that but he would speak perfectly about the thing and then introduce the band and then like do 45 seconds in between and then you know like lead a donation round or prayer round or whatever you know like whatever the Mm -hmm. religious event was and that always broke my brain Right. Like Hmm. I can, uh, you know, like during those same events, like my, my, like I could hop up and like do a two hour improv set, easy breezy, right? Like would fly by, wouldn't think about a thing. Uh, someone would like wave us off stage and I'd be like, why we've only been out there for 20 minutes. And they're like, you've been up there for two and a half hours. Sodden. And it's Mm. like, Oh, people love improv in 2005. We really did. (laughs) (laughs) It did have a, did have a moment. It had a Uh, very strong moment. I I am curious on like the impact of what improv has done to millennial sense of humor, right? Like I feel like there's uh, John Stewart from the daily show, Stephen Colbert and like South Mm. Park and improv have like become like this terrible combination of how thing. millennials make yeah, jokes. I think and that's like, very accurate. Actually, I remember seeing a post from Zoomers, I guess, somewhere, where the humor is it's already completely different for them versus us. And it's like insanely dark. I can't remember. I'll have to try and find it. But it would be just a, a mashup of a bunch of random memes. You'd have to know, like looking at this thing, whether it was a conversation or just like a, a drawing or an illustration, it would 
is meant to be really, really funny, but it makes absolutely no sense unless you're specifically uh, of a certain age and know how everything like interconnects in the back. So yeah, a hundred percent. It, it, each generation has their own uh, kind of, of humor, which is really odd. But I want to go back to the, the live versus recorded thing. Did we talk about this um, after I gave my presentation at B&H a couple weeks ago? What about it? Which part? Okay. How, at least for me, I've always been fascinated by, and hopefully I'm not alone in this, but the ability to say, like, get up on a stage and talk for an hour without stumbling too much over my words, uh, like, because it's live and it's in the moment, versus trying to say the easiest thing when it's recorded. Like this morning, I had to do a little voiceover to go along with a video, and it took me like a dozen takes to sit there and record a 30-second voiceover. Yeah. Uh, but I can stand in front of people and talk for 45 minutes straight without really fumbling at all, unless it's like part of the vibe. Like sometimes yeah. I do it on purpose just to, anyway. It's really fascinating to me. I don't know what that live versus recording is, but it's the same thing with musicians. And when generally they think they aren't being recorded, they, they fly through things like, like, um, like say there's a really tricky guitar part or something like that. Like in practice, they, they, it's great. As soon as you get like the microphone or whatever, even if it, the mic doesn't even matter, uh, as soon as you, they know that you hit record, it's like this added layer of stress or I don't know what it is. It's maybe it's partly stress. Maybe it's, Oh, I know I can do it better. So you just don't commit the same way. It's, it's really fascinating to me, the, the live versus recorded aspect. And podcasts are interesting because they kind of are a mix of both. I mean, obviously we're recording this, but it's, it's more conversational. So I don't know. Is that, is that just me? Have you ever noticed that? Or do you just always talk beautifully? Uh, I do. I do not always talk beautifully. <laughs> okay. I do not. I, I mean, I don't do a lot of voiceover, so... Uh, you know, I, I have trouble when I know things are being recorded for the first little bit, right? Um, mm. I never remember what uh, I said during <laughs> any presentation ever, right? Oh, like, I'm I have, right there with you. Right? <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, like I've given full, like, full hour long talks on creativity or like the nature of the internet or building a community online or something uh, in front of a client or, you know, at like a meetup or whatever and just. Right, like I will prepare for it. I will yeah. make slides People ask for you, it. Oh, how did it go? It's like can't say. <laughs> I I had can't a lovely time. Right, yeah. like <laughs> I was very stressed the whole time, and like I had a you know like pit in my stomach, and everything was terrifying. And then it oh, was you done. Do, you do get oh yeah like yeah oh, wow. yeah. Even though like I, which is you know odd. I never got that when I was doing plays. Right, so like doing mm. drama and plays in like a long form. You know, we're talking like hours of memorized lines and set pieces and like main character in drama productions never got any nervousness as soon as like I stepped out on stage, right? Like as soon as I stepped out on stage, I was that person, right? I wasn't me anymore. Yeah. I was that person. So it was very easy for me to disconnect my nervousness from that and just go be who, whomever. Uh, similar, similar for me, uh, just in terms of the, the closest approximation is uh, like violin recitals. You'd have to do like a violin solo once a year and once I realized that, as, like you said, as soon as you step out on stage, uh, the nerves are going to go away, uh, that made all the nerves go away for me for forever. <laughs> like, I don't get nervous at all anymore because I know that feeling is exactly what's going to happen. That's exactly how it's going to play out. 
but it is weird. It's like the entire experience of what you're doing, if it's a performance or, or whatever, uh, kind of flows through you. You black out. Yeah. In a certain way. That's why, I don't know, uh, the B&H talks in particular are the only ones I've ever actually rehearsed. Uh, of course, I've had slides and presentations and stuff, but the um, I, I generally don't like practice them out loud and time them to be a, a really specific length. I just kind of have the presentation in my head and then hope for the best. But the B&H talks, I do rehearse, and it's I'm not actually sure it makes them better than, than other talks. So... Anyway, I don't know how it we does. got on this topic. Does it? Okay. It does. Rehearsing helps. You should rehearse, Sam. Keep rehearsing. You're doing well, it's interesting because you know I started uh, my workshops way back in 2012, right? And how, that's an eight-hour day of talking, basically eight hours straight of me talking, other than some Q and A or whatever. Do you, do you consider so, yourself an introvert or an extrovert? Oh, definitely an introvert. That's what sure. I thought. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I, I have a habit of uh, collecting introverts that I adore in my life. And so I just picked <laughs> up that vibe of like, man, this guy, he's going to be oh, tired yeah. of existing in a room with me and he's going to love it. Great. That's no, my, like, the, 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 the tire thing doesn't hit me too hard, uh, but I'm just very comfortable being uh, like by myself. Like I, yeah. I've had entire weeks where I haven't left the house <laughs> and it's not like a depressing thing. It's just... Don't want to go anywhere. I'm fine here. I have a lot to do, uh, which works great for you know being self-employed and, and having to sit in front of a computer editing and everything else that, that goes on. But yeah, yeah, very introverted. Eight-hour days, introverted. That's its own so, thing. But like, so, so how do you do? You rehearse any of your right. so workshop how do material? you like sit there and practice an eight-hour workshop? You don't. You just go and you do it, and then you iterate, uh, and then you start to reach this like flow state. I mean, I've probably done sixty-plus workshops, like those full-day ones, and uh, certain times of the year, I used to call it March Madness, when it was like really busy, you know, two thousand fourteen to two thousand seventeen. Like my March would be a different city every week, sometimes back-to-back -back workshop days, like a whole second group on like a Tuesday or a Wednesday. And uh, so it was exhausting, yeah. It was just, you would get into this flow state though, where everything you said was super polished. Uh, the jokes like come across really well, uh, even though it's like the fifth time I've said it that week. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, it was a really interesting experience to develop the whole, the whole like process of, of doing a workshop. When was your last workshop? Like, have you, have you held Last one recently? Year. Last year? Uh, I did one in Chicago. So that was actually the same thing. Uh, it was large enough groups or large enough interest that I did two separate groups, two separate days back to back. Yeah. Oof. So I, and I was, I think I'm going to do another one in a month and a half. Uh, I've got a huge mailing list and, you know, pre COVID, uh, you know, COVID really took the steam out of workshops, obviously, and, but not just the ability to do them, but like my interest in in doing them yeah. dropped as well. I need to like ramp it up again. And I might do one in Trinidad, which uh, if you've never been, Trinidad and Tobago is amazing. Uh, I shot a wedding there and also taught a workshop there, but I'm um, starting to get some interest to go back there uh, end of March maybe. Okay, uh, I'm pulling up kayak and I'm, 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 I'm <laughs> checking a flight. Uh, Trinidad to, to Tobago. Trinidad and Tobago. It's right next to Venezuela. But honestly, uh, Tobago, they're two separate islands, same like government governing entity tobago is the one you want to go to in terms of uh resort caribbean trinidad is beautiful and uh, a much more influential culture like steel drums the, yeah. the entire 
instrument of playing a steel drum came from Trinidad because they are very uh, their their main industry is oil, and so they had all the, a lot of oil drums. Um, empty ones that they would uh, like punch out all these notes and that's where they have this thing I can't remember what it's called but it's a yearly sort of like a festival where they actually have steel drum orchestras essentially and so they'll have like 50 groups of these steel drum orchestras compete with one another and you can go and, and watch and listen and it, it sounds kind of like wow uh, steel drum like you know, it's kind of Caribbean vibe, not not my kind of music, but going and watching it and realizing that it's actually laid out the way an orchestra is, where the, there's sections and it's a very stereo, immersive audio, audio experience in person, um, was one of my favorite things that I've ever done. I wish I could remember what it's called. I'm going to look it up right now. Let's I mean, you got to make it part of your part of your Caribbean drum festival. Your your Caribbean workshop coming up. Uh, can we record an episode of this live so I can deduct the flight to Trinidad on my taxes? Y slash N. Yes or no? Uh, yes. I'm going to say Great. Yes. <sighs> we could also uh, just use it as inspiration for ideas and, you know, workshopping things out that may or may not happen. But, you know, I just, sometimes you need to be someplace else to get that inspiration that is that is the lie that i have told myself <laughs> to book flights to tropical mm. places before uh and i love I'm it very annoyed i can't can't find this anyway if uh, anybody ever comes across it it's it's amazing steel drums and the, the entire like genre of music is from trinidad but for vacationing go to tobago noted I, uh, I, I'm, I'm pretty full on tropical vacation at the moment because my life has been a tropical living oh, right. for the last few yes. years. So like yeah, when we were in Baltimore be... a few weeks ago, we were excited that it was cold. That was like an exciting thing for us. <laughs> just full of being chilly. I love that. Yeah. It makes sense. Grass is always greener no matter what. I wonder the impact if, of somebody living in Southern California, uh, like how that seeps into someone's mindset and what they do in a way that you can't always appreciate when you're in that bubble. I think it actually impacts people a lot. It, like the Tesla, for example, so many design decisions with that car are like so clearly not thought through because I'm assuming, uh, I mean, yeah, they put cars There are a through. lot of reasons why, yeah. yeah. There's a lot of reasons. <laughs> but like the way the door handles pop out and the things that they do to um, basically make it a comfortable vehicle during the winter are hilarious. It's so poorly designed. Uh, they test their cars in really rigorous, you know, extreme climates, especially like up in Norway and stuff. But like clearly whoever designed those door handles and, and everyone that signed off on them uh, were in their own little Southern California bubble, not thinking about, oh, yeah. Anyway, I think that happens a lot. There was also something with the iPhone I can't quite recall. It was a design decision that was like, yeah, this works if you're in Southern California, and that's the only only way it works. Everywhere else is stupid, but I can't quite recall what it was. Maybe something with their weather app. I don't know. Nothing has ever been bad with the iPhone. We're not doing it. We're not doing it. No <laughs> Apple hate. Sorry. Oh, yes, my God. Very I love that this has been a uh, recurring theme where you just like have something you dislike about an Apple product. Gotta bring to it up. To be fair, I'm, I'm a big Apple fan, so don't... Yeah, the yeah, the, don't the thousands of dollars that you have spent to have these negative opinions is high. <laughs> it is a high, yes. 
high barrier. I am uh, interested, though, just from a professional, how do you solve this problem? My MacBook desperately needs to be repaired, and it was expensive enough. I think it was almost $7,000 that I, I almost never buy Apple Care. Oh uh, right, because you bought the, did buy you bought there. like the fully loaded. Yeah, uh, the the eight terabyte <laughs> internal SSD alone was two thousand dollars. Yeah, what? That's uh, just too much. You, if That's you too found, much space. No, no, no. If you, I, I thought it was interesting. I wrote a review about the the MacBook Pro for from a photographer's perspective, and I don't usually review tech products like that. Um, and one of the things I realized in like assessing all the features and the decisions and where I was most happy that I spent the money by far the hard drive, because I think previously, excuse me, my, my largest, uh, hard drive was maybe two terabytes internal and you, you make enough content just in photos. I don't even know how videographers deal with it, but just in photos, like you have to play a few times a year, the shuffle game of, oh, okay, I can move these delivered images from six months ago to my external drive space, all that. But uh, to have so much headroom that that's literally not even close to ever being a problem is very freeing. And again, just my favorite feature. I'd have to maybe refer back to my review. Uh, to get like the real details of how that all plays out, but best money I've spent. I, if I had to trade off any other thing, I would I would make a base, nothing else spec'd out except the the hard drive. That's where my money would go first. Not four terabytes, eight. So anyway, <laughs> weird okay. tangent. But how do you solve the problem, right? I got Apple Care. I have a MacBook Pro that needs repair work done desperately. They're going to need to take this thing for a couple weeks. What do, what do I do? I can't not have a computer to work for a couple weeks. Well, if you I, they don't have did, loaders. I mean, if you had the Apple business program for Sam Heard Photography Business LLC or whatever. Oh, I they, then they I should mean, have loaners. Like I loaners. I, I need to call the them. Business, they, they, the business yeah. plan has loaners, not the Apple Care. Oh, okay. So, that's so I don't think I bought it through, yeah. I didn't know there was a difference in uh, their care products. Yeah, but so I'm you gonna, can sign up call. as a business, and then you I have will yeah. swap your. You can like swap your computers earlier. It's more or less you're leasing computers from Apple. They are then taking mm -hmm. them and refurbishing them and reselling them, and you get to upgrade on a more regular basis. They get to charge your business, which is usually supposed to be a larger enterprise business or a startup, more money. I was very Hooray. surprised that uh, it was a couple of years ago. I guess they were just trying to make a big pivot into more business stuff. But they called me several times to say, like, hey, is this a business you're operating? I was like, yeah, it's just the business of one. But they were very persistent in getting me, like, registered in their business thing. Uh, I have no idea what benefits are included, but if that's one of them, I, I guess I should might be. All I know you is they, they gave me an 800 number that was, like, the special business one. Hell but, yeah. it, you know, I've... I, never I love call. this for you. You're gonna. You should give them a call. We should do it right now. Pipe them into Riverside. Let's no. Let's not do that. That sounds terrible. That I would not be engaging content for me, let mm. alone everyone listening. Uh, it wouldn't add nice hold music that would then probably get our podcast okay. DCM so made. If that doesn't work, yeah, it probably would. Oh, do they monitor that? I assume so. I don't know. Uh, anyway. Yeah, I don't think they do, but because it's all fed through an RSS, maybe, I don't know. My plan, though, if this doesn't work out, is to purchase the same fully spec computer, clone everything over, uh, and then just 
hope that they get it back to me within the return window. And if they don't, uh, okay, but here's, here's a problem. They don't sell that computer anymore. It's an M2 chip now, not an M1 chip. So you're going to buy a faster, better computer. Yeah. And, and you're going to clone it over and then they're going to give you your slower version. Yeah. This is the first laptop in a long time. I haven't felt any temptation to like at least buy a fully specced computer to try out for a couple of days. Um, I buy and return stuff all the time. Uh, a lot of photography stuff. When I went to, uh, where was it? Africa. I was on safari and I bought the like $7,000. It was 200 to 400 millimeter 2.8 or a four F4 lens. It was yeah. se- it's like seven grand for Nikon. And I bought it on Amazon and then returned it three weeks later. And it was mint condition <laughs> with everything, but, uh, I, you know, there's I just, definitely I just something that in their you systems like... that will flag you if you do that too much. But yeah, it's like, it's yeah. Just... Instead of renting it for whatever it would have been, exactly. 800 bucks, he just took a I little risk. It. Yep. I do that with a lot of uh, equipment that I review and usually, uh, I sent it back because I genuinely don't like it, uh, like a, a lot of lenses that I roll through. But, uh, yeah, no, the return policies, as long as you don't abuse it too much, uh, most places, and you have to triple check with Amazon, you're buying from Amazon and not one of the third-party sellers because a lot of times there's a restocking fee from third-party sellers. So just pro tip there. But, you know, who doesn't have restocking fees? B&H and Adorama. Hey, hey, restocking hey. Fees. B&H. But I'm sure all of them have little things in their internal systems that uh, flag people that abuse that too much. I'm sure. But I so returned, don't do this often, but do it when you need I, it. I returned like a $15,000 medium format body. once. It's like, wait, what, <laughs> what body was that? I can't remember. Oh, it was a phase one. What was it? Uh, it, was oh, the, the... it was the body, uh, which is everything. Phase one is expensive, but not, I had, I sold it a couple years ago, a IQ three medium. Gotcha back and uh phase one stuff's all modular so you you have a body they have one called the xf i think that's the one i did that too xf camera system and xt camera those are our options yeah so you can yeah Uh, anyway i wanted to try out the new xf body and uh ended up not needing it and sent it back 15 grand it's like wow i can't like instant refund and can I also say it's very odd to – I'm trying to think. Oh, okay. The most expensive piece of camera equipment I ever owned was a, a, an entire Phase 1 rig that I bought with um, some of my crypto earnings from way back when. Wow, and, I hated uh, that sentence. Yes. <laughs> I'm saying a lot of things you hate. I can feel yeah, it as a, I'm this. saying it. Did you hear Ooh. me start to slow down? Yeah. But anyway, I bought an entire Phase 1 rig, and it was um, $75,000. And I bought it just through PayPal on eBay. and. Shot it. Oh, and by the way, awful, awful system. It's just awful. (laughs) The autofocus, first of all, medium format sensors, uh, because there's different degrees of medium format sensor sizes, just like with full frame versus cropped versus uh, the super tiny Fuji. What's that? Uh, Micro four thirds. They have the exact same thing in in the medium format range. And phase one, I think, is the only one that has, it's still not true medium format, but it's really close to a, a the digital sensor being the size of the actual film. It's so funny to have such an expensive camera and rig and have the autofocus only work in the center and hunt and peck like you wouldn't believe. There's no tracking of anything. It just, so it immediately made me realize like all of these super famous celebrities and photographers that use these incredibly high-end cameras, like 
everything comes together in this one moment, and then you hit the shutter to attain autofocus, and it's like this awkward 20-year-old focus hunting. It's hilarious. Uh, I found it to be a really odd realization. Um, the files are beautiful. I think that was a 100-megapixel sensor, but... Yeah, they never have 100 or 150. Those are your options. This is several years ago. Um, and I bought it used, by the way. So that was actually getting a deal on that entire rig. Um, Man, yeah, this is this is quite a... Story. How do you... Uh, so, you know, you shoot you shoot uh, Canon R3 or 4 or whatever it is, right? The, yep, the 3. The 3. I don't, I don't know grip, the numbers. Uh, right, like that's that's a that's a regular body, right? Like yeah, a prosumer body, right? Like it's not. Oh no, it's it's their. They don't label it their flagship because they're launching something better. But it's definitely, as far as I can tell, like the flagship camera. It's got all the bells and whistles in terms of the materials, build quality, all that. It's. But the R six. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry, R6, I, I misunderstood. R6. I was thinking of the mirrorless R body things, not ah, not the yeah. big boys. But I have used the R. I would say is um, the very first one they launched in mirrorless. That is sort of a prosumery body across the board. But yeah, why? Oh, Maybe. I'm just I'm just curious on like how you. So you know, like I I have a like a Q2 very fortunate situation where it was a uh, compensation for work that I did, not a thing that I paid for myself. Uh, before that I shot a Nikon D810, uh, you know, which is a very nice, uh, full frame Nikon from Love that 2000. Yeah. yeah. 14, 15, like the colors are perfection. Uh, autofocusing is wonderful. Hooray. Uh, you know, like that was my, that was my professional rig. And then before that I was, a like, Canon 5D Mach 2 or a 60 or whatever, right? Like a studio camera lenses from when I was sure. running a studio back in like 2011, right? Uh, but like in my own ordering uh, during the time of running that studio and just in my own life right now, I have this like trouble of figuring out how much money to spend on a thing because... Okay, greatest lie in photography that's ever been told that I hate, that I'd love to kill right now, uh, gear doesn't matter. Gear absolutely oh. matters. Yes. Like every single person who has ever said gear doesn't matter is saying that because they have $100,000 worth of gear, right? Like the person who's like shooting an exclusively like a setup is like, yeah, gear is not that important. I just, you know, whatever fixed to my hand, it's like, okay, cool. It is though. Right, like just because yeah, you also can super, take a nice, super important, yeah. Right, like I, a I nice photo nice. with your iPhone doesn't mean that like you're gonna get booked for work because you have a nice iPhone photo, right? Like the uh, amount of quality that you have to output for clients to happily take uh, your services and provide you money is like a, there's a bar, right? And like. Yes. Yes, you can create wonderful things with like an XTI it, or. It's even, uh, I think you were kind of about to touch on it, like a perception thing, which is, I think, one reason phase one is so heavily used in uh, commercial work because it's just everyone knows it. it's expensive. It's a really substantial looking camera. Yep. Uh, and the look of a camera, usually the larger uh, ones, absolutely impacts not just like stepping away from the technical side of things, but impacts the feel of the person that is being photographed. 
It's one of the things that happens with film. People, if you tell them it's film and they see that it's a film camera or whatever, they get a little more like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to be a little more invested in this because yep. you know, film's expensive. Uh, it's, it's a perception thing as much as anything else. But you're, uh, continue. I kind of derailed you. Right. No. So I just mean like th- this idea that gear doesn't matter is bullshit, right? Like gear absolutely yeah. matters. Uh, and the amount, uh, like the quality of your camera gear will impact the output of your thing, uh, of your work. It's just not the only thing that matters, right? You know, that, that's what people are trying to say is like gear isn't going to get you to where you like to the, to the mountaintop, but it's going to help, right? Like it's easier to climb Everest when you have oxygen tanks and like a good coat, right? You know, like it is. (laughs) And, but the other thing about gear is, especially if you are a professional, you, you need something that is super versatile. So, yeah, you can dumb the the Canon R3 down to take the most basic iPhone-looking photo ever, but it can also, you know, be firing on all cylinders to photograph, like, an Olympic sport. Like, the, the versatility is well worth paying for because professionals need it generally, because especially wedding photographers. Um yeah, the 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 US RP, for example, that's a, a slightly it was the second mirrorless camera Canon released after the R. Oh, sorry, Popcorn's here. Uh it was a really it was a great camera, but very dumbed down in terms of like the focus points. It was like a quarter of the focus points and much slower in every other way. And yeah, I could get by shooting a wedding with it if I had to. Uh but no, I, you want that lack of friction so you can focus on other things like lighting. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, yeah, that's another way equipment really matters. If it has, if it removes any layer of friction in my decision-making process, I buy it essentially. <laughs> uh, and that's become rarer and rarer as you know, time goes on. Hopefully that, that happens for everybody as they get better at something. But yeah, that's a really important thing to pay attention to. Okay, because like I, you know, I I uh, briefly used and borrowed your uh, your Hasselblad, uh, mm. whatever the airline number nine hundred seven X fifty C, which I thought I read was the speed of light, but I think it's actually not. I think just C is the like the lowercase C is the denotation for the speed of light, and I guess being multiplied across. I don't remember. Anyway, it's the nine hundred seven X fifty C. Yeah, the the airplane, the Hasselblad airplane model number camera whatever we're not going to actually know this 907x whatever so i borrowed that i loved it it was beautiful it was wonderful i want to buy it i don't need to buy it that is a terrible thing for me to spend seven thousand dollars on at any point right like it is it is way too much camera i don't shoot professionally i you know i don't even when i do shoot i don't shoot in a studio setting which is when that thing would shine the most right and so i'm still like (laughs) i'm looking at my beautiful perfect best in class uh street photography camera that i use uh which is the q2 Q2. which (laughs) does literally everything i need perfectly and i've never loved a camera more and i'm like "Hmm, hang on well kind of want this other one yeah right it's and that's that's bananas and it's wrong for right you know like it is it is like literally wrong i am i know that this is just like capitalism just pointing me at a thing and like well, if i buy this i'll be happy uh but like i know that it won't do it um but uh, there is you know like there has been a huge difference in my day-to-day shooting and how often i'm making work and like existing with photography as a creative habit 
in the difference between my old Nikon and my current Q2 because that Nikon was like seven pounds, right? Like when yeah. you put a 2.8 24 to 70 on it, it's like five yes. pounds. And it's that is exhausting. a lot, yeah. right? Like that, 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 that'll hurt your shoulder after a couple hours and you don't notice it. And then you just, but like suddenly your camera's not there or right, you know, and you're yeah. just not taking it with you because it's heavy. And ex- so like that, shift right mattered for me a lot mm-hmm. like it, it mattered so much i shot uh in 2000 um in 2021 which is when i got the camera before i got it i got it in end of september um and the number of photos i had taken up to that point uh was like 110 150 right oh, that wow. year okay. like i just like it, it was we we were living in tulum at the time the jungle is hot and humid and having four pounds or five pounds of a thing pressing my shirt to me, uh, just wasn't like an interesting thing. So I only took photos when we went to the beach one day and when we went swimming in a, you know, like underground jungle swimming holes called the cenote. Um, and that was it. Right. You know, like, Mm. uh, but I'm not taking it to go get tacos, even though there's so many photographic moments that happen on a walk anywhere let alone in a beautiful town such as any in mexico uh and so like i just didn't didn't take it with me and then i got the leica you know and over the next three months i shot like 2400 photos 2500 photos yeah right it's and a real like, thing <laughs> absolutely especially uh a company uh, in brand like leica who has the the legacy uh, mythical storytelling like <laughs> you know, yeah. legendary vibe. The like a it's, look. Yeah. It's a very inspiring, um, camera to shoot with. And, and, and the Hasselblad is right there with it. They, they have the legacy, the, the format and the 500, I'm not super familiar cause they're, they're mostly film, but the 500 series bodies and everything are, um, I think what they used on the moon. Although Nikon has been used a lot. Uh, I think Nikon is is actually the has the record for um, most photos taken in space by astronauts. Anyway, um, but the Hasselblad is amazing. Uh, it's uh, when I see you next, I'm it's it's you're lucky you didn't try it with the uh, 58 1.2 lens uh, <laughs> with the lens really that makes clunky it work easily. Yeah, yeah, that that lens not only is it just a beautiful look that you literally can't get any other way except for the Fuji body which is the same sensor just in the fuji medium format body yeah uh anyway but that uh lens size and weight distribution and the way it can sit uh when you have the strap around your um uh neck is perfect it's so yeah, this great. isn't information i want i don't want to yeah. know this this isn't going to help my <laughs> the, problem the lens points down and it's just like having this beautiful little box right next to you that you can boom pop up and, and take a photo whenever you need and then it just hangs back down and it's my favorite uh one of the reasons it's my favorite orientation is because the weight in the lens all points down to the ground versus every other camera where the lens points out and that's just yeah. awkward because you like bump it with your yeah you get that weird arm pressure yeah point. exactly uh this camera is that's in the it's almost like wearing a purse i guess but <laughs> what's wrong with wearing a purse <laughs> nothing it's just a really bad i'm trying to think of the next best thing i was gonna say um uh, like a, a messenger bag. bag or something it's not it's not that though it's more like a purse i guess yeah fanny packs are coming back they're yeah. back they're they just with back. bucket hats 
so like oh, my my line is very easy, right? You know, like I don't need this professionally. That like that makes this a very easy thing for me. So uh, you know, other hobbyists, uh, listen to yourself and know when you're lying. That's an easy thing. But for a professional, I feel like it's a little harder to like nail that balance of like you know you said you buy it if it removes friction but like what level of friction are we talking about right you know because like i you know you you were talking a couple weeks ago about um the apps that you subscribe to for your backups right you know like Mm -hmm. that removes friction but it's also like a hundred bucks right that's like Mm -hmm. a that's a that's not a big expense but a you know a five thousand dollar camera body or a seven thousand dollar lens or something like that is a big expense right you know when you're spending more than a single booking on just a single piece of equipment right and like yes you use this all the time you shoot 40 to 50 weddings a year and have many sessions right like it adds up and you should buy things immediately right uh if -hmm. you need them but it's hard like how much friction are you trying to remove when you purchase something new that will be better, right? Like is 2% friction enough to buy a thing? Yeah, I would definitely, I would say. Uh, It depends on the state of uh, your business and finances and all that. I mean, it's not wise at all to upgrade your equipment if you're trying to make money. Like the the goal should should be to like maximize your profitability for sure. But if everything's flowing well and, uh, yeah, two percent is more than enough for me to upgrade a, to a better camera for sure. Wow, um, I love that. Good for you. I would say almost any amount, but uh, yeah, if I, it registers a single percentage point, we're in. Yeah, it's okay. hard. It's hard to measure too, but yeah, it's. I obsess a lot about those little identifying those little points of friction. Um, I can't remember whose talk it was, but there was an entire TED talk done by a really smart uh, psychologist. All that sticks out to me from the talk is that he 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 was similarly maybe he kickstarted my obsession with finding these little pain points and and how I do whatever. But he had this one um, example of how tedious and annoying it is to take the little uh, stickers off of like fruits and vegetables when you buy them at the grocery store. The stupid little stickers that don't come off well that then stick to your finger as you try and flick them into the trash can. Like this is a perfect example of um, something everybody just does and lives with as a thing and it should be solved. It doesn't have to be like that. I don't know who to talk to at the the fruit producers (laughs) to fix this problem, but like trying to just think about how you operate when you're doing your craft or really in any way in the world. Uh, and figuring out those little pain points is so, so important. A, a big area to also kind of apply this to is, is bags and what you're actually wearing. Um, because that has the added complication of, okay, yes, this removes fi- friction, but do I look like an idiot wearing it, right? Like that, that's another thing. But like the zippers of bags, the orientation of how the zip uh, is to where I can, like I use a sling bag. Um, It's very important for me that I can leave the zipper open and not zip it up every single time, put it back on my bag and all my lenses don't come tumbling out. Like that's very, very important. (laughs) Um, A lot of sling bags, that is exactly what happens. You leave it half open and you turn it just the right angle, everything comes tumbling out. So bad bag. But yeah, it's... um, the size and chunkiness of the zipper, the the feel and texture of the um, actual like tip that you pull, like all of that stuff is super important when you hyper obsess about these things. And the more you can identify those layers, uh, 
the, the easier it is to just like become creative and focus on like the, the work and everything else that actually matters in the output. Um, yeah. It can be something really small, uh, but if you find two dozen really small things, they add up into just a completely different shooting experience. Um, oh, I was going to mention one other thing that played right into that, but, oh, this is why I obsessively never use lens caps. The amount of mental, I'm sure we've talked about that before because I think I changed my roller bag to something else. And I mentioned like half the comments I got about this little viral video that I made, uh, were, oh my God, we can't, who trusts this guy? This guy, like he doesn't use lens caps. This is ridiculous. Like he's a professional. People debate about lens caps all the time, but the amount of uh, nuisance and trouble and thinking you have to do to keep track of your lens caps is a lot. It's a lot, a lot. It's a very basic thing, but figuring out where it is, having to like find it, those interactions add up so much. Along with, if you're shooting a wedding, the ever-present overhead of yeah. even yeah, time, but the ever-present overhead you have to do of um, being careful not to drop the damn thing in the middle of a wedding ceremony and be a distraction. I can't tell you how many second shooters I've worked with that that's exactly what happens. They drop their lens caps. I can, I can almost see it coming based on the person. Like they're, I am so are. excited to do a second shoot with you, Sam. I'm, mm. I'm volunteering myself. We're going to, we're going to hook ourselves yeah. with microphones. You know, it's funny because I, I have a feeling a lot of people that have second shot with me and expect to like see something, interesting it's it's not very interesting oh I, no just shooting a wedding is boring person. it's just a wedding yeah right like you're just shooting yeah. a wedding it, the, like there's not yeah okay i'm just trying to set expectations no no, no, no. <laughs> I, I i i'm gonna try and get you to record an episode during shooting the wedding oh that's a great right? idea you know like we'll have like 20 minutes between receptions or whatever when we're eating pizza being like well that was ugh. Uh, you know, like I'm not expecting to learn anything. I've shot like hundreds of weddings on my own. I'm awesome. not like, I love that. Okay, good. We'll do it. <laughs> the, um, the other example of this, like, and I bought them all. I've tried them all. The strap systems people use to try and, <sighs> uh, balance the weight of cameras in a way like that. I cannot think of a more distracting, problematic thing to the little the little hooks where you hook them yes. onto your chest. I I hate those things. Yeah, I hate them. Now people love them. They swear by them, but I think they're I lying to themselves. Uh, <laughs> I really do because one, the the weight distribution. You always have to have two cameras if it's going to be properly distributed, right? Uh, if you just have one camera, now it's. I mean, yeah, it's crisscross, so it offsets a little bit, but you're still your weight's going to one side, and that gets weird. The um, and it doesn't have to be much. My eye doctor actually gave me this epiphany. Uh, he asked what I do for a living because my, my vision's very poor and I'm concerned about being blind before I'm able to retire, right? Uh, told him I'm a photographer uh, and, I, and I said, like, I'm starting to see floaters more and more. Like my vision badness has plateaued, thankfully. It's still quite bad. Negative 9.5 is my contact uh, prescription. But but now I'm starting to see other things like floaters and stuff. And they're just like, yeah, that's just going to happen. He's like, but one thing you can do when you take a photo, if you're right eye dominant, use your right eye, uh, but make the habit of either switching to your other eye um, as much as you can. So that I do that. I oscillate between either eye as much as I can, like back to back, or, um, you know, take the, take the photo with your dominant eye and then review the photo with your less dominant eye, your left one. Um, because over time, 
given the entire duration of your life, my, you know, if you only use your dominant whatever, it's it's going to deteriorate faster. That's if you wild. Have poor, poor eye health. Yeah, just just like it. So, um, yeah, you have a strap that uh, isn't perfectly balanced because you have one camera instead of two all the time. Uh, that may not feel like a problem, but eventually it's, it's probably going to be. Uh, that's my guess. But uh, it was a really interesting uh, piece of advice that he gave me. Anyway, uh, I was going to mention one other thing. Oh, yes. Uh, unfortunately, the the ultimate nightmare, I, you know, I really try not to um, tell people what to do without them having asked. But I really should have told this poor photographer. We were at Banff at a conference, and he was f- very excited, new photographer, fully loaded with, like, a quick mount lens release thing up here and then another, like, belt system to hold your lens down here plus a strap for I don't know why. Yep. You know, he looked like you could knock him over and his stuff still wouldn't get messed up. Like everything had a place and it was all secure. But I should have t- I should have told him. Like you don't want to be walking around uh on these rocks with water with things dangling in straps and lens mounts that you have to perfectly attach or it will you'll put it in and it will eventually like work its way out anyway so yeah he dropped his his camera body i knew it was going to happen and it did uh he was just leaning over too much and it it fell in i don't know how he dropped it exactly fell in it fell into the the entire camera with lens attached yeah fell into the water just oh yeah so poor guy but uh it breaks your heart but the more things that you have to like hold your crap in um there's a tipping point where it's too much and you're actually more likely to lose track of your crap and worst case scenario i can't think of much worse other than maybe a lava pit uh, have your camera just completely be submerged sand is pretty sand's pretty bad pretty bad lava i mean lava pit is like game over right uh car car freeway freeway is bad i filmed a i filmed a time lapse uh i was taking a road trip from michigan to idaho with a friend and he had just mounted uh original mac mini into his like 2005 mustang uh uh, and yeah he he like built in a tiny touch screen so i could uh watch like movies while he was driving because he wasn't going to let me drive his brand new mustang uh, but he wanted a company on the road trip. I was like, I got it, buddy. Let's let's film a time lapse. And so we took his original eyesight camera and mounted it via the magnetic mount to the roof in the center of the car and then uh, drove. And it worked wonderfully. It was incredible right up until a rock kicked up oh, and yes. uh, knocked off the camera. And then we found it. What are unfortunately. the chances of that? That's it was crazy. it was really impressive. There's like a frame right before the rock hits it, uh, and then it flies off, gets disconnected. We lose video, uh, so we pulled over and then tried to find it, and we noticed. saw it in the middle of the road, and we're like, "Yeah, there it is!" And SMI literally, comically, movie style, ran over it right as we saw it, uh, and that is how he but lost you, his. But you could recover the footage still. Uh, footage was already in the in the Mac Mini that was mounted oh, to the thing, right? It was just the camera. So there you. went his three hundred dollar eyesight because that's what it used to the cost. Eyesight, yeah, that's a great name. <sighs> Bring it back. Bring it's it a back. Bit of Apple News. I think they're planning to call it their their mixed reality product. I think they're planning to call it Apple Reality. 
That is the dream. That's literally the dream. I cannot tell you how many nightmares I have over that because all of the uh, code names for their like uh, AR and VR visor have been Apple Glass uh, or yeah. Apple Glasses, Ooh, and see. that has like literally yeah. kept me up at night. I tried to fight Tom about the name for like months of glass because i was like no apple's gonna change it and then they're never gonna feature us again they're never gonna show us in the app store they're never gonna talk to us yeah and or they're just gonna make us change it and i did not think about where you're going with that but that's a really good point it's like it has kept me up at night literally trying to think of what they're gonna call it and then they finally were like it's probably gonna be apple reality or whatever and i'm like fuck yeah and then i do a little dance it's uh, weird how it's it's never really what you think it's going to be. I remember the controversy with iPad being the name of an iPad. Now it seems normal, but I was for sure. I was like, oh, it's going to be like the iSlate or the Apple Slate, something like that. Like, Slate is way cooler. But uh, just no, they iPad. went with iPad. And I remember how controversial. I don't know if you did. Maybe it was just I, I love the name. I thought it was great. It, uh, I, I did too. But I, I remember everyone in adjustment. But it played off of iPod. Which is weird uh, that they like inconsistently do that. Like it's the Apple Watch; it's not the iWatch. But anyway, I, w- I would like to see them return to the i in front of things. I don't know why they moved away from that uh, iBook. Probably, probably money. It's probably money. Yeah, probably money. You can charge more for things that say MacBook Pro instead of iBook Pro. Anyway, this is probably (laughs) the first episode of uh, Endless Appreciation. Probably. Maybe. Let's, uh, you know what we can do? We can just casually release the first episode on Tuesday when we announce it. Because we announce on Monday. So we should just just be like, first episode's coming tomorrow. Here you go. Let's just do it. Do Do you think we need, uh, like, okay, so thinking about promotion of each episode, uh, I've been back and forth with with my own previous podcasts. Do you pre, like, the day before, hype people up about the thing coming out, or do you just wait until it's out? I am of the belief that just wait till it's out and then do the promotion. But it seems like everybody everywhere, not just with podcasts, but any type of like thing, they always like pre-hype. Get ready. Yeah. Get ready to like sign up for my workshop. My workshop's going to be announced very soon. And it's all artificial. Like they could announce the workshop that day and start registration, but they like build hype and it's just a strange... It depends on it depends on the situation, right? So, like our uh, our goals and our needs for this podcast are probably a little different than someone who's trying to sell at a workshop. Yeah, uh, and so you know, like our needs around this are long and consistent, right? You know, like we're we're building a consistent thing for ourselves, you know, you and I, and then also as, you know, like being published by Glass, it'll be, you know, Glass adjacent and important for the community growing and like for people to understand the decisions that we're making a little bit more. So it's more of like a long-term thing as opposed to a short-term thing of we need a thousand listeners day one, otherwise it's a failure. Uh, and so I think that that is what usually Makes uh, okay. impacts promotions yeah. schedules. And now so, that like, you say it, that it seems very obvious. Yeah, good point. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, look at me, marketing professional over here, uh, yes. living the dream. It's your literal job. It, <laughs> if it, let me tell you, I wake up every day and I'm like, I know this is better than coding, but there are some days. 
at the end of the day, I'm like, mm. I should have learned to goat, <laughs> right? Like, eh, that was my bad. Uh, which is a which is a fun joke because I did learn how to code. I, I knew how to code. I very purposely left that behind. Endless uh, appreciation. Cue outro music. Are we gonna have outro music? Are you gonna like play? You play like nine hundred no. instruments, and you're Let's not see. gonna record. That's an added layer of friction. I mean, I can build a template to not make it a big deal, but it's we'll see. We'll see about oh outro God, music. It's not that much are, friction. Are we gonna do is that one percent? No, I would. Lo- I mean, listen, I would love music, but only I think, because I think, we just I start. think no, we should just start. I just mean, like, this is me letting you and our audience friends know that I want a Sam little... Okay. I'll work on a jingle. You don't have to. You don't, you don't have no, to. No, no. I can Listen. do it. Yeah, it's been I a while. Just... I, need, I need to. Uh, <laughs> I just want to book in with this because it's been staring at me this entire talk. Have you ever tried, because uh, you love your Leica Q2 so much. This yeah. is one of my favorite purchases that I bought for the M uh, camera. It's like, the two finger side mount so you can get rid of your strap and then two fingers right in the middle but you're what in like the an hell? M and hold it with this extra added like grip. is there a yeah, screw on the side yeah, of the Leica M yep unscrew free exactly that that big I didn't know if the Q series had that oh bummer the they bottom? do probably have a plate that you could put on the bottom that recreates that but this uh, any type of two, I do wish I could somehow transport this type of thing into my uh, Canon R3, but it's I like a thing. Well, Fuji has some grips that are similar, but this is amazing because you can like totally let your hand relax and the camera just kind of dangles and yeah, and then you're boom right back into. It's really well designed. This, this literally like only makes sense dollars, if the you... stupid little piece of rubber, <laughs> freaking Leica man. This this <laughs> is, this only makes sense if you are watching on Sam's YouTube channel, oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> because that was just Sam showing something via a camera. Uh, imagine metal in a circle. That's what happened with the little screw. Yeah. Anyway. All right. <laughs> Cue outro music. Boop. I appreciate you. <laughs>